Mark chapter 8, everybody. If you could open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. While you're turning there, we will be having a men's Valentine barbecue. I'm just joking. (laughs) We will not be having that, ladies. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just to let you know in front, if you if you're uh, those Bibles in the in the seat backs in front of you, they're yours if you need them. Um, Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-seven. <clears throat> if you remember last week, Jesus had been again performing some miracles, and the major theme was, "Do you still not understand?" Jesus had just fed the 4,000. He had done it the second time. Taking just a little bit of bread and fish and multiplying it and feeding the thousands. In his hand, our resources, our lives are multiplied. Things can happen that we would never conceive happen. The disciples, even though it happened before, they came up to him and they said, Hey, Jesus, you are, you're awesome. You know, and what happened was that he did not, they did not understand who he was. Even though they had spent all this time with him, they did not understand. They saw the miracles. They've been with him for a while now. And they're getting in the boat. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they, they're thinking, okay, is he saying this because we forgot to bring bread? Now, that's pretty embarrassing. After they feed 4,000 and there are seven basketfuls, the disciples only bring one loaf of bread. And Jesus is going, I'm not talking about bread. Don't worry about the bread. It's not about the bread. You should know me by now, that even though you have one thing of bread, I'm the bread of life. I can take care of you. I can feed you. They didn't know him. And Jesus says, he still not understand. So Jesus is long-suffering with us. There are things that he's repeated over and over and over in my life, and yet I come to him again and I go, Lord, are you gonna, how can you do this? Well, didn't I do it last time, the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that? And something about my pride says, Lord, I, I just don't want to ask you again. And when we fail to ask and we fail to fall upon that grace that God has for us day in and day out, we fail to receive his goodness in our lives. But they just did not understand who he was. They didn't grasp it fully yet. And Jesus is long-suffering, and I feel like I'm the same way. But he continually to move on. And I, I think I see Mark here just, just pounding this theme of teaching the disciples through life who he was. And as we get to verse 27 here, we'll, we'll see this played out. But it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is in the north. It's, uh, it's way up high. It's around 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And it is known as the area of, of Panias. Well, today it's named Banias. What happened is uh, the event, they worshipped Baal there in the Old Testament. Eventually, they changed religions a little bit, and they worshipped someone called Pan, Pantheon, just many gods, and they, they worshipped him there, this giant rock 
talk about that when we get to Matthew. But and and they would they built this temple in there, and, and they would go in and they they'd offer sacrifices in the in the river Jordan flowed out of there at that time. It's a very beautiful scenic place uh, coming out of Mount Hermon, and it was named. Pantheus. And it's funny that uh, when, when it was conquered by the Syrians, they couldn't pronounce P's, and so it became Banyos. You know, kind of similar to bathroom, but Banyo. <laughs> and, well, that's what, you know, that's what happens when you worship false gods. It's just <laughs> kind of funny. To the Spanish only. So today, it's called Banyo, so you can see how things change over time. But on his way there, he asked, you know, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And, and they replied, verse 28, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets, you know, Jeremiah. Again, John the Baptist, you know, some of the people said he was John the Baptist. Remember reading in chapter 6, what did Herod say? He's, he, he had a guilty conscience. He's all, is this John the Baptist raised from the dead? You know, it's kind of interesting how the opinions of kings flow down to the people, even though they might be false. And Herod obviously had that influence on the population. Is this John the Baptist raised from the dead? He said, and it, and it came to the people. And so some of the people were thinking perhaps Jesus was John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Now, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land from total, for total destruction. And what we see here is that even to this day, the Jews, when they celebrate the Passover, they leave a seat open for Elijah. That they are waiting for Elijah, the one who will bring the Messiah, comes right before. And we see that uh, John the Baptist was equated to Elijah. He was not Elijah, but he was in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And they're wondering in their head, is, this guy's amazing. Maybe he's, he's the one that was talked about in the Old Testament here. Maybe he's Elijah. Nope. One of the prophets, they said, you know, perhaps Jeremiah, Matthew's account says. And today, there's many good opinions, many good, uh, you know, wh- wh- who, do the, who do the people of Walla Walla say that Jesus is? You know, as I, you know, listened over the years of many opinions, you know, hey, he's a good teacher. He was a good teacher. He was a compassionate person. Yes. That's a characteristic of him. But who is he? He was a prophet. You know, both the Jews and Gentiles, you know, say that he's a prophet. But also Islam, he's one of the imams, one of the prophets, the great prophets. One of many. He never existed. How many other things have we heard about Jesus, who Jesus is? Jesus is reformed. Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is an American. You know, I mean, goes on and on and on. Our opinions, you know, he was a God, not the God. There are many opinions floating around in society about Jesus. 
Verse 29, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He's talking to his disciples there. You know, this is what the world says about me, but what about you? He narrows it down. The disciples knew everyone else, you know, what they thought about it. But when it comes down to it, you know, for everybody, it doesn't make a difference what everybody else thinks about who Jesus is. In the end, we're going to stand before him. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he? Who do you say that I am? Do we really know him? Do we really know Jesus? The whole time, you know, Jesus has been involving his disciples in his life. He went to them. He called them out. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men to some of them. Some of them he pulled from tax collection and changed their lives. Just tons of different circumstances he, he, he pulled these people from. He said, follow me. And God initiates. Follow me. And they said, yes, we'll follow you. And they got out of the boat and they left everything behind. They began to follow him. And as they followed him, they began to see who he was. We saw that he casts out demons by his word. When he says it, it it happens. We see him heal the sick. And they're seeing that he just speaks it and happens, whether he's there or whether he isn't. His authority, his teaching, they're beginning to see him. Wow, this guy is Lord over demons. Over the spiritual realm. This, is, this guy's Lord over sickness. They see him calm the waters. We, we read that a couple weeks ago. And, they're, and at the end of that, when he comes, he stands up and says, be still. And what happens to the waves and the wind? It says it was completely calm. And then they respond, they say, who is this guy? That with a word, he can calm the waves and the wind. They still didn't comprehend who it was. And Jesus is spending all this time and experience with them, showing them, letting them engage in it even. Who is he? And then he, he goes on, he, he lets them engage in ministry with them. He empowers them to go out. He gives them power, the power that he had to go heal the sick, to cast out demons, to do all these types of things. They let him experience him and his power and his authority. They saw him. They saw him day in, day out. They spent time with him. They laughed. They camped together. They ate food. They cried. They saw people hurting around him. They shared similar emotions and experiences. They had life together. Who do you say that I am, guys, after all this? Who am I? And many of us have spent years with the Lord Jesus. And he's spoken to us and he's healed us. And he's used us and he's, and he's met our deepest needs. And yet he asks, you know, who am I? And I know what, I know what the theology is. I know what the church says. I know, you know, what mom or dad says. But who do you think that I am? Do we know Jesus? You know, 
It's not what Matt says about him. Yeah, God's ordained that. It's not what, you know, Billy Graham and all these people. I mean, yes, God's put these people in your lives to bless you, to equip you, to build you up. But when it comes down to it, well, Jesus, Matt said that you were this. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Do you believe? Do you know me? Is it your faith or is it someone else's? Do you know me? The scriptures say in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is very important. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is eternal life, to know, to know him. Gnosko, Greek, a full knowledge. This is eternal life, to know him. To know him. Do we know him? It's not enough to just have experiences and all these types of things. Do you know that Jesus said, and this is controversial, I know, but Matthew 7.21, Jesus is sometimes controversial, as we see. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never, what? Knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Take it for what it's worth. That, you remember that Matthew chapter 5 through 7? Pretty good stuff. Remember that I asked you? To, how many of you guys have read that yet? Yay! Good job. <laughs> Extra credit. Read it again. Who do you say that I am? It's very important that we know him. Peter answered, verse 30, You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about it. Obviously, it was not his time yet. He had revealed who he was to his disciples, those closest to him. But he did not want to let the population know, and there's a very important reason why. Their concept of the Messiah was askew. They would make him king right away, and that wasn't what, wasn't what was to happen. But he called them, Jesus cries out, I mean, Peter cries out, you're the Messiah. And some of your translations say, you're the Christ. It's the same word. Uh, Christ is in the Greek It means anointed one. Messiah in the Hebrew means anointed one. Anointed one. It was a common practice in those days for kings. When they they become king, they go and they break oil over his head. They would anoint him as a symbol of God's authority and power resting upon them. Remember that happened to Saul and it happened to David. Jesus was the anointed one, the king of Israel, the one they've been waiting for forever and ever and ever. The promised one. And he reveals that to them. I'm your Messiah. Now, we know that Jesus is not puffed up. It was his time to reveal himself to his disciples, and he did. Who do you say that I am? And this is a pivotal part in Mark because everything changes now. Once he reveals that, we see that things change. In just a moment, we'll get there. In Matthew's account of this, it says uh, in chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Peter answered, 
you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you. That means, oh, how happy you are, Simon of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter knew Jesus. He knew who he was. He was learning. God had revealed that to him. The Father had revealed to him. How do we get to know Jesus? This is very important. If it's very important to know who he is, how do we get to know him? There's, very one, there's one very important thing that I just want to stress today. Very important. First, we get to know Jesus because of grace. By grace. It is not by flesh and blood that this has been revealed to you but by my Father in heaven. The very fact that we know the Lord is by his grace that he revealed himself to us. Because by nature we are children of wrath, we are apart from him, we are separated by sin. But God, in his mercy, in his love, and graciously reached out and said, this is my son. I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. And we look, when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we see God. You want to know God. It's by grace. And that grace is in Jesus. We look at Jesus Christ. You want to know what his heart is for the lost. You look at Jesus. When you want to know what his heart is towards sin, you look at Jesus. When you want to know what his heart is towards hypocrisy, you look at Jesus. You want to know how long-suffering God is. You look at Jesus. It's by grace. You know, I've found that since I can't earn his grace, you know, I can't earn God, you know, you know, I can't just do these five things and then I will know God completely. The only thing that I can end up doing is asking God, will you reveal yourself to me? Simply humbling myself and asking, I want to know you more, Father. Like Moses in the Old Testament, God had favor upon him. He had grace. And Moses says, he replies to that grace and says, show me your glory. I want to know you. I want to see what you're like. It was his passion. It was his heartbeat. It was his desire. I want to know you, Lord Jesus. Should be our heart. Show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know you deeply. And the Lord is gracious and faithful to reveal Himself to us through His Spirit, through His Son. We get to know Him as we are part of the body of Christ. Mystically, mysteriously, whatever you want to call it, He, he begins to show Himself through this gathering. He begins to show himself through the word of God. He begins to show himself as we pray and as we seek. He begins to move by the spirit of God in our hearts and reveals things to us. He allows us to experience circumstances to where he comes through and to where our hearts ache like his heart aches. Just like the disciples, we experience life with him. He is here with us. And we get to know him. You know, in the, in the garden, God wanted, didn't want them to go and get all the answers from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they didn't know something, where were they supposed to go for that knowledge? 
to him. I don't know this, Father. What am I supposed to do? How many of us are going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so to speak, in our lives, instead of to the source? Do we know him? Do we know how good he is? Do we know that he is gracious and he is willing to speak to your heart and to pour out his love to you and to rebuke you, by the way, and to correct you when you're wrong? But he also knows how to lift up your heart when you're feeling down. Our Jesus, do we know him? You know... I'm just asking that the Lord would let those words just pierce our hearts. Jesus tells them that he is the Messiah. No doubt their minds are thinking a little bit differently because their concept of who he was is a little bit different. Do you know immediately after he revealed who he was, his whole teaching changed? His whole focus of teaching changed for the disciples. He'd been showing them who he was, and now he's telling them where, what his mission is. And in verse 31, it says he began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly, verse 32, about it and looked at his disciples. You know, he spoke plainly. What does that mean he spoke plainly? He wasn't speaking in parables. He spoke clearly. Hey, guys. I'm the Messiah, and guess what the Messiah's job is? It's going to go, and I'm going to, I'm going to die on a cross. The elders and the, you know, the chief priests and all these people, they're, I'm going to die at their hands. And it just did not compute with these guys. It just did not compute. And what happens? And Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. Uh, just a little note. Don't rebuke Jesus. Verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, or get behind me, Satan. Those are pretty harsh words. And he said, You have not, uh, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Satan was not inside Peter. Satan was definitely whispering to Peter and influencing his words. And so Jesus was speaking, obviously, behind him, saying to the spiritual, get thee behind me, get out of that situation. You're influenced. Your, your concerns are not of God, but your concerns are for the world. Do you know that the Jewish perspective of the Messiah at that time, they had read through the scriptures and they were in such need in their lives that they projected who the Messiah was upon to their situation. They were oppressed by the Romans. And so therefore, the Messiah, as they read, they just read through Scripture saying what they needed. Not necessarily who he was. How many of us, when we read scriptures, we read it according to what we need and not according to what he wants to say about himself? That can be dangerous. We can miss it, friends. When we're reading through scriptures, oh, this is what I need. And so you skip over the part where, oh, by the way, you must suffer. You know, I love that. How many of you know the promises about you will suffer? 
How many of you guys memorize those ones and put them on your, on your wall? <laughs> no, no, no. He will deliver me. He will, you know, he's my, you know, all this fairy tale stuff. Which is true. He will. He is our deliverer. But there's also suffering in this life. And the disciples, as I do many times, I have a view of the here and now and not the eternal. Now, what if God's plan, this is so short, and we have this view, and we think it's everything, and then heaven is this little blip at the end, little blip at the end, right? Well, God's perspective is time, eternity. (laughs) And so this little suffering that we go through now, it's big to us. But in the scope of eternity, it's a blip, as Paul talks about. But our minds are on the here and now, aren't they? They looked at the Messiah as someone who's going to come and they're going to, he's going to rescue him. He's going to go and he's going to, they're going to kick out the Romans. And then the disciples' minds are starting to go, hey, and guess what? We're kind of in with Jesus, the Messiah, the King, so guess what we're going to do? Rule and reign with them. And we was, we're going to read here in a couple of weeks, and they were arguing along the path saying who was going to be the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm going to sit next to him. No, you. They didn't know him totally, right? They didn't get that other part. That he was a suffering Messiah. The first time he, came, he rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a donkey. Donkey means a peace, humility. The second time he comes back, he's riding on a horse. War. This time he came to suffer and to die and to reconcile humanity to himself. The next time he comes, he's going to come and clean house and set things in order. He's coming back. It's very, very powerful. He rebuked Peter. Hey, you're mindful of the things of earth, of, of, of these things, not on the kingdom of God. You're not mindful. Of the ki- Everybody turn over to uh, Galatians 2.20 for me. That's right. It's right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Raise your hand when you're there. Okay, many of you. Galatians 2, verse 20. We're going to read together Galatians 2, verse 20. Ready? Begin. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I, this I thing, no longer lives. But it is Christ who lives in me. That is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mindful of the things of the Father. It's no longer me, it's him. Boy, isn't that a constant struggle? Amen. I forgot that I died. I forgot that I was crucified with Christ. That when I said, Lord Jesus, come and save me, he came and he saved me, and I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things passed away. Matt died. I was crucified with Christ on that that cross. And I no longer live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. And how do I live? By faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The very way you came to Christ is the way you stay in Christ. We continue in Christ through faith. 
We move in that. And Peter, obviously, like all of us do, we struggle with the here and now and not have the eternal concept. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, how many of us, when God calls us to do something, you go, I can't do that because if I do that, then fill in the blank. Or God, I don't want to do that because I, or it might affect my family or it might affect this or that. Wow. What's, what's keeping you from following God wholeheartedly? Is it your family? What? Don't ever come against the family. Am I asking you to leave your No, I'm not asking you to leave your family. I'm asking you to make Jesus Christ number one. That's hard. What about your wife? What? I can't do that because my husband would be upset if I follow Christ with him on my heart. Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother, your father, and all these things, you cannot be my disciple. Those are hard words. What does that mean? Does that mean like hate them? No, it means you have to love the Lord with all your heart and he has to be number one. That's very difficult teaching. Now, does God want us to love our families and our wives and all these types of things? Yes. But when he calls us to do something that is contradictory to the desires of our family, we have to go what what Jesus says, or our business, or our financial means, or whatever it is. We follow him. We're his disciples. Okay, think coffee. Only a couple more minutes. Come on now. (laughs) Are we willing, you know? We're reading through Hebrews 4. What, it, what does it say in Hebrews 4? It says that those people in the Old Testament, they had the gospel preached to them, but they failed to enter his rest because they didn't combine what they heard with faith. And they dropped dead in the desert, and God was angry with them. We're Christians. It means we're little Christ. We've heard the gospel. We receive it, and we let it fill us. And Jesus clears this. He says, do you want to be a disciple to Jesus Christ? Well, guess what? Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, is it an option here, or does he say must? Must. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me daily. For whoever wants to save their life, how many of you want to save your life? Well, whoever, uh, check this out, wants to save their life will lose it. I want to hold on to what I have. I want to hold on to me. You want to hold on to, to you, guess what happens? You lose your life. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus said, and for the gospel, will save it. The upside down kingdom. You want to have life, you give it. You give it to Jesus Christ. A disciple is one who follows in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus denied himself. He denied his rightful position at, with the Father in heaven. And he, and he came down and became a little lower than the angels. Giving up all his splendor and glory. And he became like us. He denied himself. He picked up his cross. He was at the Father's will. It was his will, not his will. Even, even at the end, he was crying out, Lord, 
that there's any other way. Let this cup pass. But there wasn't. Not my will, but your will be done. He picked up his cross and he followed the Father daily. And if we are Christians, if we are followers of Christ, we're imitating that. We pick up our cross. We deny, we deny ourselves. We pick up our cross. We follow him daily. Deny yourself. What does the world say? No. Indulge yourself. You're good. You're good enough. Don't you deserve it? You know? Go ahead. And it's all about you. And, you're, and you've got all these planets and solar systems roll, you know, <laughs> rotating around your head. No, it's not. Deny thyself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And you know what that means as you follow him. A disciple must deny themselves, right? And then Jesus says here in verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If you gain the whole world, how long are you going to have that for? 60 years, 70 years, 80? Okay, 100 years. Do you have everything? You're riding that. And after 100 years of gaining the whole world, are you going to enjoy that very much? Not with my nature. If anyone is ashamed of me, says in verse 38, and my words, if you're ashamed of him and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. There's only one cure for being ashamed of Christ. That's to repent. If you're embarrassed or you feel weak or whatever it might is, you have grace at your disposal. And you have power at your disposal. And you have the ability to change because that's what the Lord would desire to do through you if you would humble yourself. If I would humble myself. You know, like Paul, Paul, Paul prayed, Lord, give me boldness that I might preach the gospel. Paul is asking for prayer about boldness? If Paul is asking for prayer, I need prayer. We need prayer. Lord, make us bold for the gospel. It doesn't come naturally. It's a denying of self. Lord, I don't want to share with that person, but nevertheless, my will, your will be done. And as we step out, God will empower you for the work that he's called you to. Just like he's empowered his disciples here. Brothers and sisters, now is the time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now is the time. Right now, today. Lose your life. Lose your life for him. Just be lost in him. You know, I can't squirt, you know, kind of skirt around verses like, you know, once saved, always saved, and all that stuff. That's not what it's about. It's about being disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about that. We're talking about following Jesus with our whole hearts. If I'm in, I'm in. I want to be in all the way. I don't want to be lukewarm. If you're ashamed of him, then he will be ashamed of you. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. I just don't know. I don't want him to be ashamed of me on that day. I don't have all that theology down. I just know I want, it, I want him to be proud of me on that day. I want him to say, 
Good job, son. Good job, daughter. Well done. Enter into my rest. Thanks. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's kind of a fearful verse. He'll be ashamed of us. If we're ashamed of him. If we're ashamed of his words. And this sinful and adulterous generation. Sometimes fear is a good thing if it leads to change. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a kind of a fear factor there with the Lord. Some people try to skirt, you know, kind of go around it. But he, he can be darn scary in our sinful flesh, you know? Lord, change me. I don't want to experience that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Walk in the fear of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Walk in the fear of the Lord, knowing that one day your knee will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray that today your life will be lost in him, that you might save it. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your grace. I pray that we would know you more today. Lord Jesus, you're so good. Help us to be the disciples you've called us to be. Fill us with your love and with your power. Break through that we might break through to others in your name. Bless us as we go and have fun. In the name of Jesus, amen.